Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Suited for Good podcast. My guest today is uh, Mark Hugentobler, and this guy is awesome, as you'll see. Uh, we get into a great conversation about uh, similar interests, not only with uh, basketball and uh, water skiing, but really this uh, common interest of hearing people out and uh, being w being willing to uh, to allow the change in people and uh, and 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 this idea that keeps coming back in in this podcast of compassion and and lack of judgment for where other people are, uh, you'll find that that's, that's Mark's thing. He's, uh, he's written a book called All My Friends Are Felons and also uh, is hosting a podcast himself under the same name. And yeah, I highly recommend getting the book. It's available on Amazon and then also uh, following his podcast. It's, he's a great guy. He's uh He's got a, a big vision for what the corrections uh, situation should be in this state and the state of Utah and has some big ambitions to to help see that through. So anyway, I I'm excited to share this uh, discussion with you. And yeah, without further ado, enjoy today's discussion. Well, Mark. Thanks for joining me on our uh, Suited for Good podcast. Thanks for having me. I've heard a lot of good things about you from our common friend, Dave DeRocher. So I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to learning more about you. We've had a nice brief conversation introduction before we started this recording. But, uh, you know, let's start with the beginning. Where, where were you born and raised and what was family life like for you? Um, well, I was raised in a little town called Montessau, Utah. I was... Uh, I had a white picket fence life. <laughs> you know, my dad was a dentist. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Had uh, five siblings, a sister and four brothers. Uh, we grew up in a small, you know, small town. Uh, you know, my dad was going to dental school when I was really small, so we won't count that. But uh, I grew up in a great place. I had great friends. I have several friends that we still communicate every year or more. Uh, they were all good examples to me. They were all good people. Uh, we were, we had mischief, <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, we were kids, but I lived in a place where we played football and basketball, uh, with our school and with our friends. We went dirt bike riding, we went boating, we went snow skiing and water skiing and hunting and fishing. And we lived at the base of a beautiful mountain. And so I pretty much grew up a redneck. <laughs> yeah uh but it was a great life uh i wouldn't you know i wouldn't really trade it for the world i really never got into trouble i wasn't a great student uh didn't like school i had, a, I had adhd uh, they didn't diagnose it then and i'm glad they didn't uh -huh. but i was i couldn't sit still i didn't like being indoors i wanted to be out in the playground or i wanted to be up in the mountains or i wanted to be in my grandpa's farm anywhere but sitting in a classroom so but I also had the ability to get along with my teachers. Uh, you know, I wasn't trouble most of the time. Uh, I was mischievous, and sometimes I you started were just really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I, I started trouble. Caught, yeah. <laughs> but really, you know, the worst. I was just thinking on the way up here. You know, I never had run-ins with the with the, the law at all. The worst thing I probably did that I got caught at at least. Uh, we lived in a small town. We had a cop that decided he was going to go pick up all the stray dogs in town. Everybody dog was loose. It's a small town and it wasn't a problem. Well, he'd come and, according to my neighbor, coaxed my dog off my lawn and put him in jail. Wow. That's an aggressive uh, <laughs> dog catcher. Uh, so what that night, my brother and I, I was working for a, a – uh, we were building houses. I was working for a framer at that time. I was 16, maybe 17 years old. I got my 28-ounce frame and hammer, and we went down to the dog pound just outside of town by the golf course, and I took that framing out on a good, good hard whack, and the padlock paddle was broken paddle lock was broken so we there were four dogs in the kennel one of them was ours <laughs> you, so, you broke them all out so we broke them all out we put we put mine in the back of the jeep and headed uh -huh. out yeah and the others came out and yeah. kind of excited we thought oh they'll run off and yeah. they'll be fine they followed you well they didn't <laughs> actually <laughs> that was a problem so we got home and in a couple days next day or the i can't remember the next day or the day, a couple days later this cop shows up at our house and with a padlock in his hand and i'm going dude he says, yours was the only dog that was gone. 
the rest the rest of them went back in the kennel and waited for their free meal. <laughs> so uh, that was probably the. I mean, I, we did some other things a little more mischievous than that, but that was really my only run in with the law, and that was nothing. Yeah, you know, it was a don't do that. And my dad said, "Well, where did you find the dog?" And the guy explained, "Well, he was right there on the corner of your lot." And it ended pretty quick, but yeah, on my lot. In other yeah, words. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was my youth experience. We, you know, we, I loved. Uh, had great coaches, uh, good teachers. I just grew up in a <laughs> just a perfect world. If yeah. you if you want to describe, we had our trouble. You know, our community uh, had their challenges, but and we did as kids. You know, we were dumb. We did some stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, all my but kids, as far as support of family, oh, mom and just dad, everywhere. Family. You have you have siblings. I mean, yeah, I, my, I have, uh, I'm the third in our family. My older sister's passed. Uh, I have older brother and then three younger brothers. Mm-hmm. And we were just a typical family. You know, we had our ups and downs. We had our challenges, good and bad, but couldn't have grown up in a better environment, I don't think. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, all my friends grew up, about half of them were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and went on missions. Um, I didn't go. I was a, I was not a... I went to church. My family is very, very active in their in their faith, uh, but I wasn't sold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, honestly, I just I thought, well, that's great, but I'm not giving up two years of my life. Yeah. I had a girlfriend, and I was, I wanted to do other things. I wanted to be. A, I loved snow skiing. I wanted to be a professional skier. Actually. Cool. Uh, I also loved basketball, and I wanted to go play basketball. So I, doing a mission thing wasn't my yeah. on my playlist. Uh, about a year after all my friends were gone. Some things happened to me. I had an experience that, that said, you know, I need to look at going on a mission. So I spent six months, seven months. I moved away from home up to Provo. I had a friend who's going to BYU, and I just basically lived in my apartment, worked a part-time job, and read books, read religious books. I read the Bible and the Book of Mormon. I read, uh, what, four other, five other major doctrinal church books for the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, and when I was done, I was converted. So you but decided to go on a mission? I did go on a mission. Okay. I went about a year late. Okay. Went to southern France. Okay. Um, but I wasn't going to go if I wasn't committed. If I would, if, you know, I wasn't, I didn't want to go and find out. I sure. wasn't going to spend my life doing something that I didn't believe in, which is really kind of me. I'm a, if, if I don't believe in it, I'm not interested. But if I believe in it, I'm jumping in with both feet. You're all in. Yeah. You're so. all in. Okay. So you go on a mission. That was a, uh, a good experience, I assume. It was a great experience. It was the, one of the hardest things. <laughs> it was definitely the hardest thing I've done in my life to that point. Sure. Um, it was tough. You know, France is a tough place to go and try to convert people to their to a different faith. And <clears throat> and I, but I had a great experience. I had I had good companions. Uh, ups and downs. It was hard. Uh, but I'm. It was. Uh, it cemented what I'd come to believe. Yeah. So. And I've been there ever since. Okay. So. So you had you had a a some kind of a conversion. Went and did a uh, mission for the LDS Church, and then come back from your mission. You're what is that? 22, 23? I, I mean, was twenty two when I got home. You're twenty two. Yeah. Yeah. Then what? Then what happened? Well, I, I wanted to play basketball. I'd gone to Dixie State and had not made the team <clears throat> before my before my mission when I got out of high school. And I came back, and I wanted to play, so I actually was able to play at Snow College. Had you grown a couple inches on your? I grown, grown a little bit and got a little heavier, but mostly I'd gotten more mature. Yeah, I had, I had, uh, I used that maturity to help me be successful. Yeah. And I wasn't the stellar member of the team. I was on the team, and I played uh, a little bit. And uh, I was kind of, I turned out to be the academic tutor <laughs> to the kids on the team <laughs> i you know i got through high school with you know a c a b average you know uh-huh. 3.0 gpa kind of thing i wasn't a great reader yeah. uh, i think I, I had a little bit of dyslexia and problems and i just didn't care yeah. honestly uh when hey, i see's get degrees right yeah that, <laughs> that's so true but when i when i was ready preparing for my mission i learned how to read you yeah. know you don't read do all that reading without learning the skill and so it made me. It taught. It really brought me into the idea of I wanted to get an education. I really enjoyed learning. That yeah. I something I'd never really thought about. And so I went to college, and I I uh, I, I graduated magna cum laude. I mean, wow. I was a really good student uh, because I cared. Yeah. Because it mattered to me. But it's interesting how that changes, right? Well, and it's me. I I'm all in. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to jump in with both feet and give it all my all I have. Yeah. And in high school, I didn't care. I wanted. I liked 
I like, not in any particular order, girls, sports, and having a good time. Yeah. You know? So, so you were all in on those. Yeah, I was all in <laughs> on those. Um, and so that's kind of how I grew up. I wanted to be a coach. Uh, I wanted to play basketball, but I, you know, I wasn't going to happen yeah. <laughs> beyond junior college. Sure. Um, but even that, I mean, that's a feat. I mean, yeah, and it was fun. Playing was some, a, some college ball. Yeah, it was that's a good great. experience. Again, yeah. I wasn't the main guy like I yeah. was in high school, but it was it was a fun experience. Um, but I wanted to be a coach. Uh, I wanted to coach high school basketball. I actually loved football more in high school, but uh, I wanted to be a high school basketball coach. I had great coaches, and so I went to school and started that process. While I was at Snow, I met my beautiful wife, um, who didn't want to be married to a basketball coach. <laughs> but she she's still with me after all yeah. these years. Um, and he, I graduated, went to Weber State and graduated from there. And I actually went back to the town I grew up in to start coaching. Oh, what town was that again? Monticello. Monticello, southern, Utah. Southeastern Utah. If you've okay. never been there, go to Moab and drive 60 more miles, and you'll, you'll get to Monticello. It's the okay. base of a beautiful mountain. It's a beautiful place, small community, 5,000, 6,000 people. And that's where you grew up. That's where I grew up. When you said water skiing, where did you water ski? That's one of my passions. <laughs> I, I can't get uh, enough water skiing. We would skiing. go to Lake Powell. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. we were one of the we we're one of the closest communities to Lake Powell yeah. uh, from the northern part of the state, yeah. from the middle part of the state. For those out of the state of Utah, Lake Powell is unbelievably it is. beautiful. Yeah. It's magical. It feels like you're in another world. Yeah. It's just it's so fun to to boat there and just be there. And back in, back in those days, we were all alone. You know, we yeah. go down there in a boat, and you you were in the channel. We could ski in the channel. Yeah. You know, we could do a lot of things right in the channel yeah. because we didn't have to go up Halls Creek or Bullfrog or Hanson Canyon or Moki or anywhere like yeah. that, because there wasn't enough traffic. Yeah, there's now, no traffic now. You can't. There's a lot of there are a lot of people yeah. who have discovered Lake Powell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, graduate, get married, you move back to Monticello to, be and ba- to become a basketball to become coach, a basketball coach, which we briefly to discuss. That's one of my passions too. I still, I'm 44 years old. I still play three mornings a week. Good for you. And it sounds like your college experience is more like my high school experience where I got the Mr. Hustle Award. <laughs> where, hey, Rudy, thanks for trying really hard. You're inspirational for how much you try for yeah, – anyway. That's kind yeah. of the world I was in. Yeah. I was the – But was you the... can make a great coach that way because you understand the game well. You understand what it takes to be successful. And I had to work hard that... for everything I got. Yeah. You know, I was, yeah. a, was a good athlete, but I wasn't a great athlete. And yeah. It was fun. I, I it was a great experience. I yeah. haven't had a lot of bad experiences in my life. Yeah. Most of them have been really helpful. Yeah, that was so. So tell me about coaching. What what about coaching? I mean that that's probably going to bleed into our where you're at now. Yeah. But you know what? Tell me about what what. what you about know, coaching? being a high school basketball coach is a lot different than I ever dreamed. Um, I thought you go in, you work with boys, and you teach them how to do something you love. And the last part of that is the least thing that I spent time doing. Uh, it has to do, you have to learn to deal with a lot of people, different people, different perspectives, a lot of emotion. Uh, you have to deal with officials and bless your hearts. If you're an official out there, God bless you. I, sure. When you put on those stripes, there's something bad happens to your body. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> they're not paid enough. That's for damn sure. They're not. They're, they have <laughs> they a tough, they have a tough, tough I mean, job. To hear it from all the parents and all the yeah, whining complaint. I mean, yeah. Yeah. They're hearing it from everybody. Uh-huh. Uh, it, um, no matter what. Yeah. I have an interesting story. I don't know if it's going to fit in here, but I'm going to tell it. just came into my mind. I had moved to this town. My brother-in-law, married to my sister, lived in the town. Um, I was an assistant basketball coach at the time, coaching the JV team. And uh, Rick, who was my brother-in-law, who just passed away, God bless his soul, was the official. Hmm. And uh, so he's officiating. I'm coaching. I have a little brother on the JV team. My dad and mom are in the stands. My sister's in the stands, and my wife's in the stands. <laughs> this <laughs> do, I, good. do I need to say more? <laughs> this is not going to end well. Yeah. Uh, my little brother uh, went in for a layup, and and uh, Rick didn't call a foul, and he just started turning around to Rick and started letting him have it, and <laughs> the rest <Yeah>. is history. <laughs> so uh, that was a unique experience. Yeah, I don't know I that many coaches can say that all yeah. of those things came together in one, yeah, in one episode, but. Uh, it was a great, exp- you know, I, I actually just com- got communication. We're, we're putting together the, the reunion for our first championship in, uh, 894. We won a championship in Monticello and the boys that are on the part of that pro were part of that team. are going to come and we're going to meet and go to a game and have dinner and got to have a little 30 year reunion. So 30 years. Yeah. 
That's cra- isn't that it's, crazy? It's, it's absolutely crazy. It's nuts. These guys all have families and they're yeah. great lives and doing good things. But I'm really excited. Some of them I haven't seen since they were married. Wow. And the last time I saw them was at their wedding. So you you go back, you coach, you obviously win a is that a state championship? We were with yes, 90, yeah, 94? we were pretty. We had successful. I had a successful career. We cool. won three of those. Uh, not all in Monticello. I moved and went to Manti. Uh-huh. Uh, I had four boys of my own. Mm-hmm. Three of them played for me. The other one was younger. I retired before he got there. But those three boys all won championships with me. Cool. So that was that's, a neat experience that's amazing. too. Amazing. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. So I, th- it was a it was a wonderful life. Uh, I hope the boys saw it the same way I did. Uh, I hope that they learned as much as I learned because I learned so much from them. Um, it was fun to work with them and and empower them to to improve their skills and to be better. And uh, again, it was very emotionally. Emotional world, very intense, uh, very, very fulfilling for me, very hard. You said earlier that you thought it was just going to be about teaching boys about what you love, but it ended up being a lot more. What, oh, what yeah. did you mean by that? Just teaching boys more life skills rather than basketball? Or what, did, what did you mean by that? Uh, resilience. I think of all of the things that, we all, that I learned in sports. Think about what you learned in sports. It was resilience. Yeah. It was failing and getting back up. It was uh, – uh, doing well and getting full of yourself and then getting knocked down. I mean, it, it was about learning. It was learning about life skills, and resilience is probably the biggest one. Uh, it was dealing with parents. I had no idea that parents cared, <laughs> and parents care, and they need to care, and it's a good thing. But it was a challenge. Uh, I, there were some years where I was put on a shopping block, and people wanted to get rid of me, and it was, I had to face that challenge. And, yeah. and, you know, I look back. At the time, I could, didn't understand, but I look back, and I can see why they did what they did. Yeah. how they felt. Um, I was young, and, and I had a lot to learn, and sometimes I didn't realize that. So yeah. all of those things come into play, uh, but I was I learned so much from my coaches, and they were, you know, they got in my face, and they chewed me out, and they put me on the bench sometimes, and they did the things they felt like they had to do to, to empower me to become a player, and I did the same kind of things. Yeah. And uh, it was just a challenge. It was, it was, we live in, small communities are different. You know, if you live in Salt Lake and you go home, you, you don't even live in the same neighborhood as your players. I went to church with their families. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my wife, my wife went to the beautician and her kids played for me. Yeah. So you're hearing it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you're living why did, it. Why didn't my boy? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Hoosiers, right? Yeah. <laughs> very much. Like Hoosiers. Very, very much. It's yeah. very much like that. Uh, and it's, you know, I don't want to say that it's bad. It wasn't bad. It was hard. It was a challenge. It was had its challenges, but it was also very fulfilling. So, so you coach, you retire. What what happens next? What's well, we what's we, the next step we spent a, we spent nine years coaching in Monticello, and then uh-huh. I moved to Manti, Central Utah, you from Manti area, and I coached at a different high school, and I coached there, and and uh, I had a had a mentor principal there who advised me to get my administrative endorsement. And uh, I got my administrative endorsement, and I went to work. I, uh, um, I coached another year, and then I went, also went to work as the assistant principal at the high school. So I was teaching algebra, being the athletic director and coaching, and now I was the assistant principal, and I coached for a year. Um, and I was, I, I was not a typical educator. Uh, I, you know, I don't coaches generally aren't, but I was probably more so. I was very... I had a way of doing things. I was, I'm a very open person. I'm not afraid to engage and, and face difficult things. A lot of times teachers want to put the hard things aside and just kind of fluff and warm and fuzzy. And I wasn't afraid to call a spade a spade, if you can put it that way. I just would speak my mind, in a, hopefully in a kind way. Well, I had a principal who was just the opposite. We had very opposite perspectives, and, and he did not care for me at all. He hired me because he thought I'd be good, but he asked me to do it. Uh, but as we got going and I was out working with people and teachers, I, you know, I, I didn't want to sit in my office. I'm, I don't do that well. Yeah. I was out working with people, and he was just kind of the opposite. He wanted to work with people from a distance, and he didn't want to get his hands really dirty, in my opinion. And in his opinion, I was trying to get his job, which wasn't at all true. I'm a very, very loyal person. In fact, I think I'm loyal to a fault sometimes. Anyway, he – and then, and then there, a school board, a school district is run by uh, people. Elected, elected people. Uh, the school board, uh, or school system is run by school boards, and 
as a basketball coach, you make enemies. You make a lot of friends, and you have a lot mm-hmm. of people that admire you, but you also have some people who really don't care for you. Yeah. And most of the people that I worked with and whose kids came through my program or tried to come through my program were good people. If I had to cut them or make a decision a couple weeks later, a couple weeks pass, and they're good, and they go on with their lives. But some didn't have that ability. Sure. And there were two members of the school board who, who were not fans. And they, they drew in another member of the school board from a different community. And so there's three members of my four-member school board who said, we don't want Mark in the high school anymore. I was called in the superintendent's office at the end of the year, and he says, Mark, you're gonna, not going to like this conversation, but you're going to prison. Wow. And people, That's a big jump. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's safer in prison than in high school. How's that, BJ? But uh, he, people don't realize this, but at least in Utah, the school district – the prison in Gunnison, there's a state prison in Gunnison, and that's in, in that prison is in our school district. And the school district is responsible for education in the prison. I did not know that. Yeah, people don't know that. No. I, people don't realize that. Huh. And so uh, we, the, you know, it wasn't uncommon for administrators to go into the prison for a year or two and then come back out. Uh, in fact, the superintendent of the San Pete School District right now was in prison as the principal before I was. So it's, it was a common thing. Uh, oh. there, there's teachers in there, and, and people go there for every different reasons. Some are put sent there because the school district don't, doesn't want them anymore, kind of like I was. Mm. Others go there to get started. Others don't go there to get kind of get escape because it's not, it's not as intense in some ways, if you will. <laughs> Wait. It, the yeah, I prison know. isn't as intense. It's very, tr- <laughs> it's very true. Sorry. That's a commentary on our... <laughs> <laughs> The, and there's a reason for that. Uh, nobody cares. Huh. You know, there's no expectation. There's no expectation. There's no expectation of what you're teaching, what results need to come I, from what yeah, you're teaching. I was, I was told Interesting. that when I was huh. prepared for my job by my predecessor, I was told to go in. You'll, you'll mark, you'll read the newspaper cover to cover. You'll, you know, you can, you can, you just have very little to do. Wow. And that was the expectation, honestly. Wow. It's uh, basically a, a placeholder. Mm-hmm. You can go. This is your job, just to kind of yeah. go and just be. Be sure to be there because you need to be there. Wow! <laughs> but there's nothing. There's nothing that you need to do, and that really was the world that I went stepped into. Wow! Which I mean, is interesting, especially for a personality like you, that when you jump into something, you're you're all in, <laughs> and there was nothing to be in. <laughs> yeah. Well, but if somebody tells you that, you're probably going out of your mind. Like that doesn't. I'm gonna go crazy. Yes. I can't do that. You've described it perfectly, yeah, I BJ. I can't do that. Um, I tried to. Uh, my my principal told, or my superintendent told me that a couple of years from now, the school board members who don't like you are going to be un- unelected, which they were. And you can get out of prison. And you'll get out of prison. <laughs> and he says, Mark, just go do your time, <laughs> and, wow. and we'll get you back in the system. Is that so? That way of speaking, like literally, is was that the way of speaking? Like you're literally you're going to prison. You're going to be there for two years. I mean, obviously, there's some undertone of sarcasm with that, but like, is that kind of the way it's thought of, yes. or was thought of, at yes. least. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go do your time. When when you do, got your time done, we'll get you back in the school system, and everything. Be happy. Wow. So I went there to do my time, and within two months, I was nuts. I couldn't. I was going. This is crazy. Yeah. And what I saw, BJ, is I saw fifteen hundred men doing nothing. Human resource just everywhere, and 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 I'm going. This is crazy. I met, you know, and, and I. Before we get into this, I don't want to. I want to do a pre-apology. I met a lot of really, really, really good people there. And lots of them wore, wore white uniforms, which, which were inmates, and lots, more, lots of them wore blue uniforms, which were the cops. These are good people. Yeah. And I'm going to talk a lot about the system, which I'm not real fond of, but I don't want to disparage the people. The people. Yeah, that, the pe- I, I totally understand The that. people yeah. are a result of the system, and that's true in any part of society. Schools, yeah. doctors, hospitals, lawyers, uh, businesses businesses it's culture yeah. right yeah. yeah it's culture and whatever culture is brought down from the top is going to be the culture that's adopted and and anyway i get there and i'm looking around this is crazy i ran into a, a well i didn't run into there was a guy named charles gordon who had just graduated from the high school and i started visiting with charles the next thing you know he's in my office and we're visiting and we start visiting for hours on end and of course people going you can't you know i'm my office is uh, we need to back up a little bit more, probably. Uh, in in the prison in Gunnison, it's very unique. We had a corridor with 12 classrooms, and it was our corridor. It was the education corridor, and, and we had 10 teachers in those classrooms, and I had an office kind of right at the front corner as you come in the hallway, and it was, it was 
but it was a fishbowl. <laughs> so I was in a fishbowl, and, and, and the previous, everyone told me to cl- keep my door closed or everybody's going to bother you. So I was supposed to go in my office, keep my door closed, read the newspaper, and be happy. And I, I just couldn't handle it. I yeah. was, you know. You're not built that way. I, well, yeah, I, I can <laughs> tell just from knowing you for a very short time. So yeah. I opened my door, and I start talking to Charles. And he's next thing you know, he's in my office two or three hours a day, and then four or five hours a day, and we're talking. And we're not just shooting the breeze. Yeah, We're talking about what's wrong here. Huh. And over time, we invite other people in. And, and within about two months, like most people, I looked at the prison as derelicts, prisoners as derelicts, unredeemable, unchangeable, didn't care. They deserved to be there. And of all of the things I just said, only one was true. That is, they deserve to be here. They hurt somebody. Yeah. They hurt. They did. They broke the law. We need prisons. We need cops. I'm not a defund anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a change stuff, but I'm not a, we need police officers and yeah. I respect them and love them. Yeah. Uh, same thing with, you know, officers in Correctional officers, we need them. Yeah. Um, so I, that's what I thought when I was going in. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to go. Is I'm more valuable than to go work with a bunch of low yeah. lives where there's no expectation. <laughs> where the, well, anyway. and I yeah, yeah. Um, so I started realizing that I was so wrong. Hmm. First of all, I was wrong because these men didn't want to change. Hmm. They were they were redeemable. Hmm. They were humble. The the large majority of them, nearly all of them that I worked with, admitted that they were bad and that they were wrong and they had made mistakes. And not only mistakes, they committed crimes. So they had hit that point. But the but the system, which was supposed to be a correctional system, was doing. They had their programs and their stuff going on all over the place, but it was useless. It was very very wasted energy. The inmates didn't like it. They didn't want to go. If they did go, they just sat there and did their time. <laughs> So there was nothing of value going on, and they were there was no hope. Hmm. And the first thing I thought was, there's no hope. These guys, you look in their eyes, and there's no hope. You're hmm. going, wow. So I get to know them, and we start basically, if I can kind of cut to the chase, we when I got there, there was 247 men enrolled in our school. Um, I put this, and I didn't do this. I inmates did this. My staff helped. My secretaries helped, but the inmates did this. We, we incorporated a lot of the each one teach one model that exists at the Other Side Academy and trust but verify models. And a lot of the things that the Other Side Academy we started does, we started doing in our, in our education program. When I left eight years later, I retired. We had over 1,100 of those men in, directly involved in our school system. Wow. From 247 to over 1,100. Um, and How did one, you know about the te- each one teach one? I, uh, you know, that's a great thing. I kind of skipped it, and I want to go back to it. Um, I was in doing this. I was working with these these guys, and uh, they had a, what they called a Friday forum, where they would bring someone in to speak every, once a month. Who who had the Friday the, forum? The inmates put it together. Really? Uh, and they would bring together. They would try to bring influential people in to talk to to their group, and everyone didn't have to come. They had big. They had chapels in both of the main buildings, the Boulders and the Henrys, and they would usually fill up a chapel when they'd bring somebody in. Huh. And I, I can't remember the in, the individual's name, but one of the inmates kind of put that program together, got it approved, and it happened. Well, Dave DeRocher had just come to Salt Lake City from California, and you're going to hear Dave's story, so I won't go too deep into it because I understand, BJ, you're going to interview him. Yeah. He's an amazing man. Incredible. Who spent 15 years in prison, who was a shot caller in prison who was the most vile, evil man you can dream of. I've heard his whole story, and it yeah. scares me. Yeah. But I didn't know Dave then. Mm-hmm. I know him now, and he's a wonderful, engaged, purposeful, powerful man. Anyway, I, went, I wanted to go meet him because the inmates were talking about him. And I thought, well, i got to see this guy. And so I went and met him, and, and he came to, I came and gave him a tour of the school. And within a month, I was up to the other side academy meeting him and meeting Tim. And the people that are working up there, they only had 14 students then. Now they have 140 or so. Um, but I, I was in, just intrigued by what he was doing. And and we talked and talked, and I stole a lot of his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and took a back. Not yeah. all of it, and we didn't do it near as well. We didn't have the therapeutic community like he does. But we used the, the ideas that could work in our system. So that's how I met Dave. And mm. we I went and spoke at the Other Side Academy, and I've – and been engaged with him off and on for for those years 
But anyway, we 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 started we within about two years we had we had tripled the size of the school, double tripled the size of the school, and it was just growing. We ran. We had guys who said, "Well, Mark, we're, we have our high school diploma, we have our GED. What else can we do?" So we started creating. Again, it wasn't our mandate or our position. We were a secondary school. That was our job. Uh, we started bringing in post-secondary stuff. I m- reached out. To, I just kind of they came to me, and I came to them, like-minded people. Weber State, uh, a man named uh, last name, uh, Cena. His first name just escaped me. I'm sorry. But anyway, I started communicating with him. We brought some courses in from Weber State that were kind of male courses, you know, distance ed courses. We just brought the curriculum, and we started teaching it. We had inmates, actually, teaching other inmates the curriculum. Wow. And we started getting some credit that way through Weber. Then I started working with Salt Lake Community and did the same, a similar thing. Uh, their professors would work with me, and I would work with an inmate, and the inmate would go teach the class. Then they would give us the material back, and we would send it to the teacher. He would grade it. We had a test. We'd build a testing center, so any testing that had to go on, that was we they'd have to go in and take a test. And most of our credit was given from tests. So all of a sudden, through partners like Salt Lake Community College, Weber State, you're providing some college level yes. education. Mm-hmm. Snow College as well. Wow. In fact, Snow College came in and interviewed. There was an inmate who had a uh, bachelor's, uh, master's degree in business. They came in and interviewed him, and he actually taught a business class, two business classes, for about a year and a half. Wow. And so we were doing some innovative stuff, and it was my, it was funny. I had two wardens that were very supportive, and my last warden wasn't. Um, and he was always fighting me. I was always fighting him. He was always wanting to shut me down. He put an officer in our, in our corridor that was very anti-education, and I was at, always trying to figure out ways to manipulate to work my way through that system. Um, we'd created a code camp, so guys were taking learning how to write computer code in prison. Wow. In fact, I met two years ago after I got out, I met with six of those guys that had taken that course. Only one of them even knew what a computer was, basically, before he went to prison. You know, never no experience. And all six of those guys are working in the computer industry. Now? Yeah, now. Post, off, off, post on parole prison. or off. Yes, post-prison. That's They're, right. Working meaningful jobs, mm-hmm. creating code. Well, that was that was what we did, and it was a wonderful experience. It was it was I had a great experience as my whole professional career. That was the most amazing and powerful and purposeful and meaningful professional experience in my life. Hmm. That's amazing. You know what strikes me as uh, it's just uh, it's interesting because I think like one of our cultural beliefs is own it. I own our results and consistently ask what else I can do to achieve them. And I think, uh, you know, hearing your story, it's like, you know, this is what this is what you should do. But yet you're saying, well, I'm going to own this. I'm going to ask what else I can do. And it's incredible. It's incredible if, if more people in our community, just people in general. And I talk to my kids all the time. I got four kids. And they'll roll their eyes when I say the word initiative. <laughs> it's all the time. Rhett, my eight-year-old, hey, it's time to clean up after dinner. What can you do? Find something to do. Take some initiative. But, you know, I just I, – my hat's off to you because, you know, you're finding there's there's more. What else can I do? Well, we were fulfilling what I co- would say is the corrections mission statement. The, they have a mission statement, and the second half of it, the entire second half of it has to do with corrections and partnering with agencies that can help. Ah. And so I was, in my mind, I'm just doing, yeah, I was, I was doing different, but I was a coach. Coaches don't do stuff different. They steal everything they have from somebody else. I didn't have an original mm-hmm. thought as a coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't. Yeah, you pulled plays from something you saw John Wooden or whatever. John yeah. Wooden and, yeah. and Mike Krzyzewski yeah. and, and on and on and yeah, on. sure. So, um, but then I take them and I put implement in my own system. And and that's what I did here. I didn't everything we did. I did. I stole. In fact, most of the ideas that we used came from guys in white, hmm. inmates. It's amazing. And and we would apply them. And some of them didn't work, so we'd throw them out and we try something different. Uh. We had us. You know, we had just again. We involved two thirds of that prison. I had a hundred guys that would volunteer ten hours a week to me just to help me. No money, no reimbursement. These are just inmates. Just inmates. A hundred guys. Which again speaks to like. 
I don't know. I, I just I think that's so awesome. Oh yeah. That there's this resource that people look right past, and you're saying, you know what? Hey, who cares where the idea comes from? <laughs> it doesn't Plus, matter to me. Bring it on. Like yeah. you, you might be on death row, but if you've got a great idea to to help other people, let's 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 try it. The, the I sad, love that. The sad thing is, with the last warden, I was fighting. I, I was constantly in a constant battle to keep to keep our program, not just build it, but to keep it. And to give you an idea of how that works. How can that be? How, how can that warden come in and not see the results? Because if you've got like five people that are now coding, that are now out of jail and are coding, it's like, yo, just look at that guy. Look at this guy. Like, this works. What, what, I think that's a great question, Is he DJ. just so steeped in like, no, this is how I've done it and this is how it's done. That's they, exactly Like it. the belief that they can't be reformed. Mm -hmm is just overwhelming the evidence. Yeah, one of the things that he would do is he would, I would have guys working for me. And he'd be, do you know what that guy did? Do you want to see what he did? I said, I don't care what he did. He said, well, look, he, was, he did this, 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 and that. And I'm going, you know, I, I, I don't want to know that. Hmm. That's not my job. My job isn't to find out what they did. In fact, wow. I made a purposeful effort not to do that because I didn't want it to screw up my head. Because huh. it hurts. You find a kid, sure. you find out a kid, did, a guy did something to a kid or to a woman or yeah. to, you go, that messes with your head. Yeah. But that wasn't my job. My job was to help them change. And the best way I could help them change was to engage them in the work of change. And they had to do the work. And my, my job was to facilitate and empower that work. But he didn't, he didn't see it that way. The, the captains of the housing units and the lieutenants in the housing units, because I worked very, very closely with all of them, they loved what we did because guys were out of their section. Guys were anxiously engaged instead of playing ping pong and playing pinochle and, and being, playing basketball in the yard and getting in trouble. They were doing something productive. And they were – it was so it made the management easier. But mm. the warden didn't see that and didn't care. <laughs> but the captains in the units did, and they liked it. I think what you just said really hits me hard. I, uh, we talked briefly before this interview, but the thing that keeps shouting at me – when the when I've interviewed people, is just the the call for compassion, and for lack of judgment, and for us to put that judgment aside of well I wouldn't do that or how dare they you yeah know how I mean? can how can they do how what can, kind of decision who makes that decision yeah why would you do that and yeah you're, you must be terrible but like what you're telling me is you just you just had you just didn't didn't want to know I didn't because you knew that that you know you're human and that that clouds what they could be because you're you're shaded by what they did Were. that's that's huge you know what i mean yeah. i think that's such a and and i also uh admired what you said about you know there's these five reasons or whatever and yes they all needed to be there but the other things you have to look past to say hey well we're starting today and i think that's pretty powerful well some of the people don't realize 95% of the men incarcerated in the state of Utah will be released. 95%. Now, here's the scary statistic. 70% will return to prison within five years. Yeah. So something isn't happening. If you look at the other side academy, yeah. who has the same demographic, Dave is yeah. going to tell you that yeah. 20, I think he said uh, his average student has been in and out of jail and prison 24 times. Yeah. So he has the same demographic. Yeah. Um, 72% of the people who complete the Other Side Academy are crime-free, drug-free, and employed five years later. It's amazing. So we're talking about an opposite, completely yeah. opposite, same demographic, complete flip. And that's a, that's a program that is self-funded. No taxpayer no money. No taxpayer money, and yet the thing that all of our taxes are going toward is completely inefficient. Absolutely. We're doing the it's it's like it's stupid. We're, we're mismanaging the, what the money should be spent on. The word is stupid. <laughs> there you go. We're being stupid. We are. Yeah. These guys are yeah. destroying our lives. They're they're committing all these crimes and then we're paying for them to live. And I'm I'm not trying to be harsh. I don't I know it sounds harsh, but it's it's not stupid for them. <laughs> it's the community, us. We're not doing this right yeah. and it can be done right. Well, it's yeah, it's stupid for everybody. It's stupid for them too. It is. They don't. They, they don't, don't get to realize their potential, and which, they want to. And they want to. They want they to change. How. They don't know how. So that brings me to the next story. This is the, this is the impetus for my book. 
In 2016, I went to a symposium the Department of Corrections put on in Salt Lake Community College. It was the only time in my experience that I really had a lot of hope for the department. It didn't last very long, but I did have it. And at that, that symposium, they had the lieutenant governor spoke, a couple senators spoke, they had a judge speak, I don't remember, a bunch of people, really important people. Mm-hmm. But I do remember one presentation. It was done by a felon. He was at the time 39 years old. Um, and he told his story. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, well, it's a, it, to me, it's a powerful story, and it's the basis for everything I believe and everything I want to do. Uh, I say I. It's really we. Every, there's people around me doing so many good things. This boy had been, had, was living in uh, Wyoming. Excuse me. On, he was living in Montana with his mom. He had an older sister, and a, his mom had a boyfriend. Uh, his mom had a baby, and the boyfriend had had enough and bailed. So here's this woman has a baby and two kids living in a remote part of the world with nothing. She moves back to Ogden, where her family's from, to try to get some support. So now he goes from wilderness, <laughs> you know, rural, very rural, to inner city, you know, between Harrison and Washington. I, I spent uh, two years living on Brinker while I was going to Weber State, so I'm pretty familiar with the avenues. Um, and Which, for people who don't know? Is a rough area. It's inner city. It's, it's a rough for Utah. Yeah, you know, West Valley's can be have some neighborhoods that are the, that way, but right there in that part of Ogden is a pretty rough area. Yeah. So he he he's his mom's destitute. He finds people hanging clothes on a clothesline. He says, "Oh, there's clothes." So he starts wearing somebody else's clothes, and next thing you know, he finds a bicycle laying around. And he's got wheels, so he's riding a bike. He's, he can ride a bike around. Then he finds out there's guys that'll pay him for those bikes. So he's making a living selling bikes. Well, he's in and out of, out of juvenile detention. He's 19 years old when he gets his first jail time. He is now, and if we jump forward 10 more years, 29 years old, he's been in prison three times. He's standing in front of the judge on another drug charge for the fourth time, and the judge is disgusted. And he looks down from the bench. He looks down at this kid and says, or this guy and says, what do you have to say for yourself? And the, the, the guy, the kid paused or the man paused and says, judge, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. Can you play pay the excuse me? Can you play the violin? And it just says no. He says, "What? Can you play the Star Spangled Banner on the violin?" He says, "No, I, no." He says, "Well, what if I put a gun to your head?" He says, "You play the violin, the Star Spangled Banner, I'm going to kill you." He said, "No, no. I can't play the violin." And he says, and the, the guy says, "Well, what if I threaten your family the same way?" And the judge says. I can't play the violin. I never learned how. Oh. And the kid stops and says, Judge, Man. I, don't, I don't know how to live a good life. Can you teach me? Man. Wow. As, as we both compose ourselves, I'll go on with the story. Yeah, man. <laughs> you got me tearing up over here. Just. Um, the judge... Being a good person in his wisdom, yeah. realized the situation, um, sent him to a program. Says you're still, you've got a prison sentence. If you go complete this program and succeed, you're out. It wasn't the other side academy, but it must have been something similar, some kind yeah. of a, maybe it was Wasatch Recovery or Renaissance Ranch. I don't know. Um, to, needless to say, he's standing. This man is standing in front of us. He's 39 now. It's 10 years later. With him is his wife and two beautiful children. Hmm. He is a. Uh, he owns a business. He is a tax-paying member of our community. He's a good neighbor. He's a good father. He's a good husband. That's what the Department of Corrections needs to understand. Hmm. That's what our that's what our society needs to know. I'm a firm believer. I always have been that inside of everyone is a good person. We all have our challenges. We all have our problems. We all have our trauma. We all have our drama. We all have all of those things. And some of us, I don't have it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my story's pretty, pretty white picket fence. It's pretty benign. Yeah. Um, but inside there, they want to be good people. And you've interviewed. That's what you do on your show, BJ. Is you yeah. interview people who didn't know they were good people. Yeah. And they came out of themselves, and they came to themselves, yeah. and they realized I don't want this anymore. Yeah. And they found a way. Sometimes forced, almost forced on them, but often by themselves, and they changed. 
And I'm a true believer that almost all people on this planet want to live a good life. And this man is, (laughs) I don't even know him. I don't know his name. But he's in my book, and he's my hero. Yeah, because he started the impetus for this book and and for what we're doing. And I want people out there, the everyday people. They some of them live in the avenues, some of them live in Cottonwood Heights, some of them live in West Valley. So these people don't want the world they're in. They don't know how to get out. And they, if you give them a chance, they they, they got to hit rock bottom sometimes. They have to come to themselves because it has to be a choice. But they want to change, and they want to live good lives. Uh, every one of them. You know, my podcast, that's the way I'm doing my podcast. Everybody I talk to has been to prison. They've been at the rock bottom of the criminal justice world, and they want to change. And once they get out and they come to themselves and they find a path, almost every one of them had a family member or a, a friend or a loved one or a program, something that gave them a path and a way to change. And we've got to do that as as a side. It's foolish. Look at all the money we spend on prisons, and we'll we'll always have prisons. If we could turn a prison into a correctional facility, if we could turn prisons into the other side academy, yeah, <laughs> they would be places. I don't want to say this wrong. Well, people already want to go to prison. I've interviewed guys who grew up. I had a I interviewed a guy who grew up great basketball player, Tapaso, a kid. Actually, he's not a kid now. He's a man, but he grew up in the same time my kids were playing. I remember his name. He was an amazingly talented basketball player who chose the, the street life and who wanted to go to prison. That doesn't make sense to us, but if you look at his life, you start to understand. When he finally got through that, he came to himself and realized, no, I've messed my life up. And once he did that, he changed, and he's a really good person. He has a great basketball program in, in uh, Harriman, I believe, uh, 801 basketball. So they want to change, BJ. They want to live a life like you live. And like I live, and like so many of us live. But here's the problem. 70% of them go back. 70% of the guys we let out of prison commit new crimes and go back. And so we don't trust them. The 30% that succeed, they disappear into our world. And we don't realize they're even there. We need to change that from 70% failure rate to a 30% failure rate using programs like the Other Side Academy. The government can't do it. Government, we need cops, we need facilities, but then those facilities, those cops need to do their job, and then Dave DeRocher or Amy Chandler or many, many, many others, Todd Sylvester, these are all people who have programs. They need to go in and they need to be allowed to, and to create the, the pathway for the, the men who want to change. Wow. There's so much here. Yeah, we could be here all day. Well, I, you know, I, I'd like to... I mean, what? Uh, I mean, it's probably overdue, but uh, your book, um, your podcast. Like, where where can people find your podcast? And what is the podcast name? But let's start there. Uh, all my friends are felons. You can find it on any platform. Okay. You can go to all my friends all my friends are felons dot com. Okay. We have a website. Okay. Um, there's a book on Amazon. All my friends are felons. <laughs> okay. And there's a book on Audible. Okay. All my friends are felons. Did you did you actually vocalize the I book? I did vocalize the Good book. Good for you. And I'm not a great reader, so you'll forgive me if you. But it's the heart's in it. I hope. So <laughs> it's awesome. That's what I say about the podcast. <laughs> my podcast, that is. <laughs> so and then you've got uh, the podcast going as well. Yes. All my friends are. We started. All podcast. my friends are felons. We started in October 16th. Was our first drop. We've had a tremendous response. Good for you. Um, and and I just interviewed guys who have been. I interview guys like you interview, BJ, guys yeah. who have been in the bottom of the world and by God's grace have been brought out of that world and mm. are finding a, a finding the life that they dreamed of when they were six years old. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it may not be exactly that life, but it's a good life. Yeah. It's a productive life. It's a it's an empowered life uh, with vision and purpose and direction. So. Wow. Well, Mark, what? So I'd like to maybe give me two takeaways uh, that you'd like people to know about your friends that are felons or just about the work you've been engaged in. What are the two things you most want people to know? Kind of putting you on the spot there. Well, one of them goes back to a 
to a, to a saying, and I think this applies to every human being, and this is something I learned from Todd Sylvester, uh, a good friend of mine who lives up on, who has a Wasatch recovery up in, in, Wasatch, in uh, Cottonwood Heights. He, he, I first heard this from him. He said, I, I, I went looking for myself, myself, I, sorry, I went looking for myself, myself I could not see. I went looking for my God. My God eluded me. <coughs> Excuse me. My God. <coughs> I went looking for my God. My God eluded me. I went looking for my brother. I found all three. Hmm. Which is hmm. service. Yeah. And reaching out. And I think that applies to everyone. It applies to you and I. It applies to the, the, the men you interview, the, what peop- the people you interview the people at the bottom, the people at the top. The more we reach out to other people, the more we find ourselves and we find God. Hmm. Um, the other the other takeaway, and I, so I think service is huge. I think yeah. it's just jumping in with both feet and doing your best. The other thing I think that I would like to share, um, we always hear that time heals all wounds. It's an old adage. Oh, yeah, time heals all wounds. I, I, I think it's li- I think it's a lie. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. Change heals all wounds. Change takes time. Change takes effort. But it's change that heals all wounds. And it's service that is the balm for those wounds. Hmm. And so if I have a takeaway, if you want a takeaway from me, it's we need to serve. We need to serve each other. We need to get outside ourselves, and we need to find ways to help. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's uh, effort. Maybe it's doing a podcast for the people who you help in 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 your world related to the other side academy uh, maybe it's shovel your neighbor's walk but we need to serve other people because that's what makes us different that's what makes us human i used to tell that to my guys in the prison all the time service is what makes us human hmm. it's what makes us like god hmm. if we if i can say it that way and and it's so important um the other thing i would say is uh, for those of you out there that might listen to this podcast that are t- that are down and out, that don't know what to do, that are in, a, in an addiction or, or somewhere, you know, that is ugly and hard, there are people all around you that want to help you, but it's not your drug dealer and it's m- probably not your friends. It's the local priest or a bishop or a neighbor or someone that you knew when you were younger. That is a, the, you, there are people out there, and there are programs everywhere that want to help you. The Other Side Academy, the Red Barn, uh, My Story Matters. There are programs everywhere that want to help you, and most of them can, are free. Don't give up, but mostly reach out and ask for help and then take it. Man. Mark, this has been amazing. I'm so grateful you'd come and, and share your time and and uh, yeah I mean God bless you on your journey helping uh, and and hopefully this uh, your book uh, is widely received and and hopefully your podcast is widely received as well it, it's it's such an amazing message that the world needs more of. It's our world. Sometimes we get so lost in our our own world that we forget it's our world. Yeah. And we affect other people so strongly, and all we have to do is reach out. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, we'll, we'll post information about your podcast and your book Great. on our, on our uh, podcast link. And, again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, BJ.